this natural thing in nature and in us as well. And it's this automatic physiological response to a threat or danger or whatever, all right? And things happen that you don't choose to happen. Your digestive system stops. It, it halts for a second to conserve energy for your muscles. The blood for it, the reason you go pale is because the blood gets diverted and sent to your muscles so that you can fight or flight in the best way possible. Your pupils dilate, you can see clearer. Your body responds to the stimulus of fear without you choosing to. It's amazing. And it's a very good thing too. It's built in to defend us and it prolongs our life. But all of this shows me something really important and fundamental to understand about fear, which is what we've been talking about together. Fear is a mechanism that is set in stone in our bodies and our minds. And so often our response to fear is not something we even decide on. It's automatic. Fear is fundamental, hardwired. It's natural. But even more than those things, what I want us to understand is that fear is a catalyst. It's a precursor. It comes before. It's a stimulus. It's an instigator. It's a means to an end. Fear is a question. Fight or flight. And where you place your fear is going to determine your answer to that question and your answer to fear. If you fear getting burnt, like everyone does, then you, the answer to that is you put the tea towel or the thing on your hand before you grab it and you just think it through for a sec and it keeps you safe. It's a good thing. If I fear heights, if I place my fear in heights, then my answer is to stay safely on the ground or away from the edge and it avoids the danger altogether. If, but if I fear the rejection of man, as so many people do, my answer is to chase after approval. And I won't have to face rejection if I make them like me. So that's my answer to that when I place my fear in rejection. And if I place my fear in discomfort, I'm going to answer by fleeing anything that threatens my being comfortable. If I fear loneliness, my answer is going to be following people rather than following God. Are you seeing where I'm going? If I place my fear in death, even death, then my answer to that is to put myself first living just to stay alive. It's, it's, the top priority is me staying alive, right? And I mean, on Anzac Day, those are people who, the, the fear of death was not the priority, right? If fear is a catalyst, then is there such thing as a fear that causes something good? If fear is the precursor, and where I place that fear dictates the answer. Is there such thing as a fear that I place where the answer is good and the result is good and it's a catalyst for good change? Well, let's turn to Jesus, all right? And here's what he said to his disciples when he was charging them as he sent them out. It's a big chunk, but we can do it. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 10, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Great. <laughs> Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking before you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. 
Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. This is not sounding great so far. Fear, challenges, trials, everything. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and the servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. Massive list of terrible things to come because being a disciple is not easy. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And listen, rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear them, fear him. Jesus said that. Because you go, oh, sounds like heresy, but it's Jesus talking, so we know it's not. Don't be afraid of all these people who can hurt your body. No, 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 no. Fear him. The title of this sermon is, Is God Your Greatest Fear? And the scriptures are full of the idea of fearing God. Full of them. We've been talking about fear and most people have even mentioned it a little bit, fearing God, the fear of God. Even this morning, Pastor Jack started his sermon talking about the importance of the fear of God. And the Bible refers to the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom and understanding. It's what keeps us safe. It prolongs life. God blesses those who fear him. For this massive list of Psalms and Proverbs. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches. It keeps going. There's so many and... They all communicate that the fear of God is so vital and it's good and it produces good, good things. Psalm 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. There are so many things to fear in the world and like 80% of those things come from Australia, am I right? Like the world is full of fear and it begs us to place our fear in those things, in it, in the world. And not only in our natural hardwired state is fear prevalent everywhere, it's, it's inescapable. But now, in the very culture that we live, on top of all the natural fears like death and pain and discomfort that our body is hardwired to avoid, we have the culture around us dragging us into this culture that hate, that craves fear, that monetizes fear, that controls with fear, 
entertains even with fear. It's the ultimate manipulation weapon because it forces a response. Fear is a catalyst. It's not the end, it's the start. What comes after, right? Fear forces a response and we cannot escape fear. It is everywhere. But church, I have not been able to get this out of my head. There is a fear that is far greater than any the world would have us buy into. There is a fear that calls us to action like no other fear. A fear that forces change in our lives. It forces it. A fear that is so great and so tremendous that it completely overtakes every other fear we could possibly ever have. And once you realize it, it will shake you to the very core of your being. And it's this. God is all-powerful. And he is all-knowing. He is completely holy, perfect. He is just. He hates sin. And he sees all of me. Every other fear... (laughs) I could possibly have, the world could possibly offer me, turns to dust in my hand in the face of my almighty creator God. And when I look at my life and the filthy rag of my imperfection, and not only that, but it's stark contrast, stark contrast to the pure, radiant glory of God, I am completely and utterly at his mercy. And praise God, because he is merciful. I have to search my heart, and I would ask that you find it in yourself to do it too, because if I don't fear God, if the fear of God is not in me, then I have either forgotten who he really is, never known it in the first place, or am completely blind to my sin and the absolute abomination that it is. The reality of God's holiness and power contrasted with our sin and defiance and ignoring and mistrust and abuse of His grace that was bought for such a high price, it's the most terrifying realization a human could ever have. And it far outweighs every other fear. Yet John writes, in 1 John, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father who sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God, have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love 
expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Yes, God is holy. God is perfect. God hates sin and he loves justice. But we can never forget that our God is love. The truth of this sermon is a doomsday message without the truth of God being love itself. Jesus followed up his terrifying words in Matthew 10 that we read earlier. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But then he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Just a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Yes, we must fear the Lord with trembling and reverence. But we can't forget as well that God is love and perfect love casts out all fear. Sounds like a little bit of a paradox, but yes, I fear God, but in that very same fear, I have confidence, I have boldness, and all other fears get made redundant, right? As his perfect love washes over me. Isn't our God awesome? Placing my fear in God, just like any other fear, it forces a response from us. It's a catalyst for change. Firstly, when I fear God, I become fearless. Truly, when I place my ultimate, top priority, number one fear away from the things of this world that are offering fear this, fear that, fear this, fear these people, fear their opinion. No, 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 no. I fear God. And when I place my fear in Him, I become fearless. I have courage when I place my fear in God. I'm fearless because the one I fear over everything else loves me with perfect love. The response to fear in God is courage in the face of all other fears because God is for me, right? I get to fear God without ever being afraid because God is for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 33. By the way, read Romans chapter 8. Read the whole book. My goodness. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen It is God who justifies. When I fear God, I become fearless. The second thing, the fear of God causes me to hate sin. The fear of God causes me to hate sin in a way that I never will without the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. 
To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And can I just say something? If you feel like sin doesn't sting the way it should, if you feel like you've become complacent with sin in your life, some sin or even all sin, maybe you feel like the heart of repentance is something you haven't felt deep down in a while. The antidote is a healthy, strong, rich, trembling fear of God. That's the antidote. If the sting of sin is so far in the distance that you don't even feel it, and sin feels like it just comes out of you without even a second thought, the antidote is fear of God. Because he hates sin. He detests it. So when I find the fear of God, I hate what he hates. If I have a deep, real fear of God, why would I waste a second of my time dabbling in something that he hates? No, thank you. A life that fears God is a life that chases after goodness and righteousness, not sin and fleshly desires. The fear of God causes me to hate sin. I'm going to get to the last point. The team, you guys can come up. The final point, and I think the most transformative of them all, is that the fear of God causes me to love Jesus. The fear of God causes me to love Jesus and to love him in a way I never could without the fear of God. Because when I see my sin detestable to God, exposed before my holy creator and I've placed my fear in him before anything else in this world, I see how beautiful the cross is. When I see that the price to atone for my sin, my sin against God is an eternity of suffering, I finally find the sweetness of the gospel of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I find the fear of God not to be afraid of God because he is love but the reverent deep shuddering to your core fear of God and the reality of his power and his holiness I love Jesus I could go on and on and on and on and on and on about this, but there's someone who did it really, really well. His name is Paul. And I think Paul feared God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Pretty sure he did. And what I want to do, before I talked about Romans 8, I'm actually going to read a really big chunk of Romans for you guys. The end of Romans 7 and then into Romans 8. And I'm going to jump over to the last part so that we're not here for like 45 minutes. 
but I want you to hear this. You can close your eyes, you can read along, but listen to what Paul is saying through the lens of, I fear God. And his judgment is just, and I am sinful, but Jesus. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the, that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And here it is, church. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control. <laughs> it's too small to read through tears. <laughs> sins control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? 
as the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, all this fear, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears, our fears of today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's worship God together. How about we stand, church?